Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is Aid. I have with me Graham and uh, for the first time in a while this week we have a super special guest. Uh, first of all though, hey Graham, you right? I'm doing very well Aid. Please ask me nothing about my personal project but other than that I'm doing great. <laughs> okay well that gets that item off the show notes out of the way then doesn't it? No suspense needed there. But Graham, can you please introduce for us uh, our special guest for today? I certainly can. I'm so pleased to have this person joining us, especially seeing as when I read um, her Twitter profile earlier, it said the world's shyest photographer. So I'm really glad that considering that, uh, Tina Rowe is joining us today. Um, Tina, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I think we were talking earlier, and I think the biggest problem that we're going to have today is that there are so many things that I, I want to ask you about because you've done so many awesome and wonderful and, quite frankly, weird things. It's almost hard to know where to start. But because there was a conversation that we were just starting to get into before we started recording, and I said, no, 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 stop. We need to talk about this online. I would actually really like to start by going right back to the beginning about your early relationship with photography and how you got into it and then how it sort of grew from there because it sounds like it was a bit of a bumpy start to begin with <laughs> well um i i let me try to think my, the first time i ever wanted to own a camera is when my father bought um a practica super tl which was an old eastern east german single lens reflex camera and he didn't let me hold it, but he let me look through the viewfinder and he put it into focus. And it was like being at the cinema. And I really, really, really wanted to own that camera. <laughs> <laughs> but he wouldn't he wouldn't actually give it to me. Um, but then uh, a long time after that, I went to art school. And not long after I started art school, my father died and I got his camera. And I started to do photography while I was there. And photography was actually the only thing that I really liked because I was in a bit of a mess when I was uh, after my father died. And the thing about doing photography was that um, it's all very structured. You know, you can't do things in a sort of ad hoc way. You have to take the photograph and then develop it and you have to develop it, wash it and then fix it. You know, there's a really nice structure to it. Yeah. Whereas you're doing other things at art school that, most of my art teachers are sort of refugees from the 1960s and everything <laughs> all about feelings you know it wasn't and there wasn't a structure it was all about being in the moment and the last thing I needed to be at that point was in the moment uh, but at that time photography really wasn't considered to be part of art discipline it was really looked down on it was something that you did in the technical college not in the art college and so as that was the only thing I was any good at or interested in they lost interest in me and we parted ways <laughs> But I kept the camera and just carried on taking photos of my mates in the pub. And that's how it all really started for me. Um, and yeah, and, and then I then I um, tried to join public dark rooms because used, there used to be dark rooms, you know, like in most evening class colleges. Yeah. They were all of these beardy men who smoked pipes, who smelt weird, who wanted me to take my clothes off and pose for them. And it was all <laughs> like Benny Hill. And I really, really hated it. And I, I can't imagine why. Oh, I know. Uh, silly Billy. I really was. I really missed the trick there. And as a result, I just used to send all my pictures to TruePrint. <laughs> and I never I never really went back into the darkroom until um, I was living, teaching English in Poland. I went there in 1991 
and I stayed there for three years and I was able to buy all of the equipment to uh, make a darkroom in my bathroom and I taught myself to do it with um, a guy a, you know a guide in Polish with a dictionary <laughs> in German I could speak a bit of German and um, that's where I really started doing it that's and, and then it's just really grown and grown from there because it's obviously everybody we've had on so far has been a photographer and photography and art is always a bit of a, an interesting one because whether or not you think photography is art or not I think is a quite a personal thing I think obviously it certainly can be art but it almost feels a bit like that thing of um maybe it with a charitable view all photographers are artists but certainly not all artists are photographers and your work really does feel much more art that happens to use photography and light sensitive medium as the building blocks of it um is that something that you came to fairly early or is that something that's evolved over time as you've explored the photography getting back into it with the darkroom work i think really um with the art side i've always been interested in art and i drew a lot and um, I was always interested in printmaking as well. And I, I think, well, again, after I got thrown out of art college, I destroyed all of the work I had because I was a 17-year-old <laughs> And um, I stopped drawing. And up until I went to art school, I was really good at drawing. And drawing was my thing. I wanted to be an illustrator. And um, when I tried to start drawing again, say about five or six years later, I'd lost the ability to do it. And I lost all confidence. Whereas with taking photographs, I could think of something that I was seeing or, or look at look at whatever it was that I was seeing and, and choose the bit I wanted to take a photograph of in the way that I used to draw the thing that I was interested in. And I suppose that really informed the kind of photography that I did. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't just interested in general scenes or landscapes or things. It, was, it would be something in the environment that interested me and I wanted to explore that. So maybe I had that kind of sensibility. Does that make sense? Or yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Did you, because I'm interested, I know on, I can't remember where it was I saw it, but I, I, I read some of you'd written about that you lost interest in uh, having anything to do with digital photography and, and even with your Hasselblad you weren't interested in that did you go down the road of um, looking towards capturing perfect images because I think it, it certainly one of the hallmarks of your work is that um, image perfection in terms of sharpness and um, ultimate <laughs> image quality is, is a thing you are not interested in at all um, <laughs> I, I hope you don't find that it's in, in no it as an insult because I, I think it's fantastic but did you go down was that an avenue that you went down and then found it to be a dead end creatively or was it just the thing that you were never really interested in no I was certainly interested in it I bought um I bought a Nikon D700 in 2009 just when they came out and I mean it cost me 1500 quid without um, without a lens so I must have been quite interested in that yeah <laughs> And I, I took a lot of photographs with it and I enjoyed taking the photographs with it. But I just found that. The, the, and well, I think the thing was when somebody pointed out to me how you can turn the exposure down a bit slower. So you've got a, a longer exposure and then move the camera to capture movement. And I started to do things like that. And then I found that very interesting. And I would never have done that with an analog 
camera for the simple reason that I would have been worried about wasting a frame. Yeah. Whereas camera, I had as many frames as I wanted. So I started to take a lot of pictures that looked at light and looked at movement. And, and that then sort of began to transfer in my interest to the analog cameras that I had. And I started to work in a different way. Whereas with the digital cameras, yeah, it's done, isn't it? You point it, click it, and then it's done. Whereas, yeah. Yeah, with the analog things, you're thinking about ISO and different kinds of films, and you commit either black and white or color. You know, those those having those elements in in thinking about making the picture made the making the picture more interesting, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you did mention earlier when we were talking about the fact that. Um, you felt that with we were talking about the fact that you're not really interested or not not say interested but you you don't do street photography or landscape photography or portrait photography per se i mean i know you've done elements of all of these things but and you said that part of the reason was that there are other people you know you feel like well there's other people who can already do that really really well so why i mean I am interested in portraiture. I do do portraits I'm, i'm doing a portrait project at the moment but it has it's very deliberate do you know what I mean? I like, this yeah. is, and I do those with Hasselblad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, the, the, what you were saying about the movement that really does seem to have been quite a um, fundamental shift in your approach to stuff because that seems to be a really big element of a lot of what you've done going forwards. Um, certainly, in your some of your more recent stuff that you've um, got up on your website, you've been doing. A, a lot with pinhole cameras yeah. and and that that movement where the the movement is caused by you on the camera so you've got a series of pictures that you've taken on public transport um in which there's a lot of movement because you're hand holding a pinhole camera on public transport as uh, the yeah. smoothest of rides um <laughs> you've got some stunning shots of london um city streets at night um like oxford street and so on where again there's the, the the energy in those pictures from all the lights movement is incredible um and obviously that's again partly from moving things in it and partly from you moving it but then there's other work that you've done um i can't remember what the project is called now where you set up to take a picture and then i think you were using light torches or something to draw oh, um yeah. within that it's it's it has become something that is really very a, a sort of central feature of a lot of your stuff now um was it the desire to do more of that that led you to pinhole um actually no the, the pinhole thing was my husband bought me one for christmas <laughs> oh god uh, bless I, and i i was like what the hell is this and put it on a shelf for about a year and then once i just happened to go out with it but the the, the stuff with um the lights that was about finding a way to be present in a photograph without actually making a portrait and and that came out of the particular camera which is a reality so subtle pinhole camera which has got a very very sharp pinhole on it which means that you can get really big prints from it and uh, you get a lot of detail in it and I liked the idea of having what looked like something that looked a bit like a landscape or a picture of a room and yet having these shapes that you could draw with the lights in it so it was just using the long exposures that you have to have with the pinhole camera and still being present. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's such an interesting concept because it's, I mean, if anything, with pinhole work, 
people tend to disappear from those pictures rather than being made present in any way, shape or form because the exposures are so long. Um, I mean, I know, Aid, you found when you were not with a pinhole camera as such, but when you were taking pictures with your um, beloved Instax camera <laughs> before Christmas and you were doing long exposure work with that, the, the people were just disappearing from that because they weren't on screen for long enough, were they? No, it was interesting because it has a 10 second bulb mode, that camera, and uh, out around the streets of London in the dark, uh, you needed all of that 10 seconds. And yeah, there was there was very little uh, that, that moved that actually got captured at all. Most of the things that moved just simply vanished. Well, that yeah, that that was something that I really liked about taking long exposures. But then I went into this long exposure in a restaurant um, in Paris where I just, I, there was a coat rack above our table and I just put the camera in that while me and my two friends had our dinner. I <laughs> thought, being an idiot. And I was like, no, 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 it'll be cool. And um, I was amazed when the photograph actually finally came, was, was developed because it was a very busy restaurant. There were lots of waiters going backwards and forwards. And yet where they had been, it just looks completely empty. Mm. Where people were sitting having their meals though, they sort of, sort of um, rest in little blobs that, that you, so you can see this sort of shape where there is a human being and another human being that has been sitting next to them. But what was also revealed was their relationships. You could see who was talking to who because they'd been doing it for so long, sitting in this little pool. Yeah, yeah. So you could see who was leaning forward and engaging and who wasn't leaning yeah. forward. Yeah, and it's, it's one of my favourite photos. And that was the first one that I took where I thought, oh, yeah, you can interfere and you can still... So, so the restaurant still looked completely solid you know like everything was where you would expect it to be the but the thing that you would have expected to see more of like the movement of the waiters that that was just too quick and too irregular to be picked up by the camera and I thought well that's that's a really interesting thing to explore a bit further with more of these cameras and that's why I've been doing a lot of what I've been doing it's it's I mean it's really it's a way of capturing the world that is really only accessible through some through pinhole photography because you're capturing such a huge slice of time in one individual shot there's nothing else that can do that um and yeah so the, I, it doesn't surprise me that you found it threw up relationships that we would never be aware of or at least not in that way because we see everything in the tiny fractions of seconds of our our awareness and um that's yeah. fascinating yeah yeah, I, that really, that really, really did intrigue me, and that took me down a load of really interesting alleyways, which I'm still exploring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about some of the exhibitions because you have done a lot of exhibitions all around the world and all over the place, and there's so many. Um, I wanted to ask you about, I think it's the most recent one you did, um, which was with the E5 process, um, which is, I think, a, a community darkroom you're involved with in London? Yeah, it's, a, it's my community darkroom and we're also a collective as well. So that was our collective exhibition, yeah. That, I've, um, for people who are interested in seeing this, is the Facebook page the best place to go to see pictures from that? Yes, yes it is. The Facebook page has got better pictures than the, um, the our website. We really need, need to put more <laughs> Uh, the sweet irony of photographers <laughs> struggling to get photographs of their work. Um, I really liked it. Was it was great because part of the problem with looking at your work is that um, the 
output medium does not translate well via digital means, by which I mean looking at these pictures from the uh, the surface and light show that that you've done with the E5 uh, Process Collective in London, I think, which I think was back in November. November, yes. Yeah. And I was looking at it, and there's all sorts of very different, very um, distinct work. Um, I, I, say I really recommend anybody go and have a look, because it's an incredible collection of stuff. But I identified the work that I was yours, because I saw, okay, I, I recognise this pinhole shot. Um, and the print was ginormous. <laughs> I, I don't know how big it was, but flipping huge uh, you could probably give us more accurate dimensions than flipping huge yeah uh, i think they're about 120 centimeters wide those ones yeah that's quite so, big yeah <laughs> but that's that's down that's in part down to the the camera as well because it's because of the pinhole where because it's such a good pinhole you can print them really big i have also printed them on other mediums even bigger but um yeah <laughs> So, I mean, the amount of work, I, I'm intrigued because your output medium seems to be absolutely integral in the entire process of what you're doing. Um, oh, yeah. Very, very, it, yeah, yeah. I, I get the very clear impression that when the, the thing that ends up being a finished product, you know exactly what that's going to be when it's actually probably a good um thing to ask you about that that is um related to this you went and did a um was it in estonia you went to the residency in the printing museum yeah in, yeah <laughs> could, could you tell us a bit about that because that? one it looked like a fascinating um thing to go and do and it's also <laughs> the what you produced from it are, are fascinating <laughs> Um, it was it was the first residency I'd been on. Um, I did it. I, I was I had a mentor um, to to advise me on what stuff to read and because I wasn't really very sure how to develop as an artist. So I I, um, I had this really good mentoring relationship with a woman called um, Claire and uh, Claire Law and. Um, she said, why don't you try going on a residency because residencies are very good for artists and I looked for a low I looked. Um, on the internet across a few sites but there's one site called Resartist I think it's resartist.com and I just looked for something that had printmaking and photography in it and I found the place in Tartu and just applied and what they do there is that they've um, they just save all these old printing work stuff so there's great big trays of, of you know like printing type there's lots of different kinds of presses. There's loads of typewriters. I love typewriters. And then they, they do all these there's special machines for binding and cutting paper and all sorts of stuff. It was absolutely fascinating. It was a wonderful place. And I, I, I took a load of um, cyanotype chemistry with me and uh, some liquid emulsion and uh, some weird papers and pinholes. And they just watched me a bit surprised yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a really nice place to be it was a really good environment it was nice to be working with a, a, a much uh, with a very different discipline as well with people with very different skills uh, obviously i know exactly what it is but for the benefit of um, everybody else who might not have a better idea can you just explain what liquid emulsion is because I, i've seen you use this elsewhere and i kind of understand what it is from the results you've got but I don't really understand exactly how it works. Could you just give me a brief bit of explanation on that? 
Well, if you buy commercial black and white papers, they, they've been treated with a special light sensitive emulsion and uh, it's dry and it's on the paper, but it's still light sensitive. You can't take the paper out of the packet in, under normal light. What all liquid emulsion is, is exactly the same stuff that coats that paper, but it's suspended in gelatin Mm -hmm. And it comes in a pot and you just, again, it's very light sensitive. So you have to, um, you take it out of the pot, you melt it under some gentle heat, and then you can paint it onto other surfaces. So you can paint it onto paper, you can paint it onto cloth, you can paint it onto stones, you can paint it on anything. Actually, you can paint it on your skin, but it's a bit pointless because it'll wash off. <laughs> but um, yeah, and um, I like to use it on all sorts of strange things. <laughs> but you so, can also, Sorry? No, no, please carry on. But you can also do things like um, you can water it down. Well, not water it down. You can thin it with other things as well. So I thin it with um, alcohol or water. And then you, can, you don't just have to use paint brushes. I use paint rollers. I stick it in flowers. You know those flower mister things? Mm -hmm. I stick stuff like that and squirt it at paper. And I just flick it at the paper. <laughs> <laughs> just to see, you know, because... Some people really like the fact that you can then have these sort of painterly brush marks all over the image. And yeah. you can just you, you can just paint it onto a small part of a, a larger sheet. So if you had a portrait or something, you could just paint it where you want the face to be or some of the face so it would look like it was emerging from the paper. Yeah, you can you've got some quite nice control with it. That's fantastic. That's something I was completely unfamiliar with. So when you go out to um I can't what's in the name of this tar Tartu, Tartu, T A R T. Tartu. Yeah. Did you, when you got there, uh, did you have any ideas in mind about what you wanted to do, or did you get there and then figure out what you wanted to do? I was completely clue clueless, no idea. I just thought <laughs> must do a residency like a grown-up artist, and um, I got there and I probably spent about a week just wandering around looking at stuff because it's 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 a really beautiful little city. And it's unbelievably foreign in lots and diff lots of different ways. And Estonian is one of the most difficult languages you can imagine. So, you know, it was it it I, I kind of I quite like going to places where I don't understand very much what's going on and I can't really communicate with people because then you can really watch and then you have to you have to you start understanding the environment just in visual terms. So it. Yeah, I really didn't know what I was going to do. But what I ended up doing was photographing the museum itself and the area of Tartu itself and then using them as source material for the work that I actually produced in the end. Yeah, because the work, you, what, what I loved about, I was talking earlier about your output medium being so integral with the entire project because your the output medium was essentially... It, it, it was part of where you were. Um, I think that there were two things that you were making whilst you, that you were using. Was it random pieces of wood you were finding around the place? Oh, yeah, I found these little blocks of little oak blocks. I picked those up. Yeah, they were quite and, nice. And so that's, I assume that's where you were using the liquid emulsion on those. And, um, oh, no. no, I didn't use the liquid emulsion on those. I used, I did Polaroid lifts. Ah. Yeah, the, the ones on the blocks are actually, uh, yeah, I, I, had, I have a Polaroid black back for my Hasselblad. And so I took little pictures with that and then I lifted those onto the blocks. I used the liquid emulsion on some very big sheets of paper. I made some very big prints, which I don't know that are actually on my website. 
um, but they were our, they were of um, beautiful old Estonian houses. I don't know if you might not have seen those. Uh, no, actually, I, I realise now because I looked at these yesterday, and then of course the, the fact that the um, pictures on the wooden blocks are in colour would make the emotion. Um, yeah. yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the other thing you you got on there from um, from your Estonian trip was these beautiful um, cyanotypes on the book covers. Oh yeah, yeah. Because what what they do at the museum, they make they they get all these old books that are being uh, thrown away by people, hardback books, and they cut out the body of the book. They get rid of all the paper and they turn those into these little nice little boxes that you can keep your jewellery and stuff in. And so I said, can I have some of the book skins? And I used them as frames for the little cyanotypes that I made. Yeah, they're lovely. I I don't know whether you've seen these, Aid. Yeah, I'm actually I'm I'm following along looking at Tina's website as you guys are talking and I'm I'm it's this is just fascinating stuff. I uh <laughs> it's uh there's some of these book covers uh, uh look like they've got quite um it, it, I don't know it's it, there's one here I'm looking at which is called Cogito Ergo Sum which is uh, clearly a book cover. Uh there is uh there is a cyanotype on it but it looks like there's some text from the book itself somewhere. It, it, how it, how it got in there I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I just printed on the paper from the books. Oh right, okay. It's, it looks, yeah, yeah, astonishing stuff. Astonishing stuff. We all to have said at the beginning actually, so uh, so other people can also find your your website is Tina Rowe, which is Tina R O W E dot co dot uk. So if anybody wants to go and find what we're talking about, because there's there's so much stuff, and you really do have to kind of see it. I, I love these books because, um, the book covers because. I, I would never have thought of something like that, but they do make just such lovely pieces, such lovely frames for the photographs. And I love how they're tying everything together. So you've got the photos of the place wrapped up in this part of the place. It's it's great. I, I really love stuff like that. Um, nice I would imagine. You. Sorry, dear. That's really nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I would imagine that when you go somewhere like that, then you if anything you're probably going oh my goodness there's you're as an artist a lot of ideas come to your mind and you think okay what am I going to do from there um because it's a fertile new territory as you said it's a country you're not familiar with it's an interesting environment there's lots of raw materials around um how do you find your inspiration when you're waking up on a Monday morning and you're in London and it's raining and you just, because um, quite a lot of your work is, is quite personal Um, on your website. You've got stuff from your mother's house um, and it's clearly, it, it is stuff that's very personal to you. How, how do you come to, to, come up with these things that you're going to do when you're not in somewhere new and almost being overwhelmed with um, potential ideas? I think a lot of it is about um, repetition. I'm, I'm quite a big walker and I like, I, I tend to walk the same routes a lot and, or find slightly different variations on the same route, but you're going to the same place. Like, um, I live in Stoke Newington and I used to work in South Kensington. So I would walk to Arsenal, the Arsenal tube station, because that would get me directly to South Kensington. And so I, I, I had to get to Arsenal, but I 
there were a couple of different ways, you know, of going there. So you tend to see the same things again and again and again. And eventually you realise that there's one or two things that you do keep looking at. And that, well, I keep looking at and I eventually start photographing it. And that's what I did in Estonia. And I think that's what I do in most places that I go. I just sort of walk around until something becomes interesting. Sorry, that's that's really interesting because I'm almost the complete opposite. I just wander out and anything that catches my eye, I take a photograph of. I never wait. <laughs> I have no patience at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a big, yeah, I, I, I do write, I do take a lot of notes. I do a lot of sketches and things. I, I also sit around and stare into space and think about stuff a lot. But with my mother's house, the pictures in my mother's house was... Um, because my mother had had a stroke and I used to go up and sit with her because I, I live in London, my brother's still live in Worcestershire. And I would spend all day um, in my mum's front room with her watching ITV3. So after a while, you know, you watch that much Midsummer's Murders that you're thinking, I think I'll start looking at other stuff. And because I was looking at the mantelpiece, I just started photographing it. And then I started photographing the whole house. <laughs> and she didn't mind. <sighs> With stuff like that, the stuff from your mother's house, and um, and also with things like your public transport work, we touched on it briefly earlier, where you've been using pinhole cameras on public transport, um, and the images are, they are not, um, I suppose the easiest way of putting it is, they are not the kind of photography that people are necessarily used to seeing in some cases, in terms of with your mother's house, yeah. the photographs are of the inside, of somebody's house it's not a big fancy house it's just uh, an elderly lady's house it's compact and so the things that people are used to seeing these but it's grand vistas or obvious beauty and stuff like that um how do you find it sharing stuff which is meaningful and personal to you but which you probably are quite aware of can be quite marmite with with the viewers um is that something that you are never nervous about or are you quite happy to go no this is this is something that speaks to me i don't care if you like it or not yeah i that, yeah i don't care <laughs> <laughs> i do it because i do it because i want to i mean i don't make money from this really um i do it because i want to make these things it's like why do i draw why you know like why do i sometimes write a blog post that's not about photography it's because i just want to and i can <laughs> <laughs> very egomaniac didn't it <laughs> but it's an exercise as well I suppose just in some respects it's an exercise and well I, I I wonder what will happen if I do x I wonder how it will look if I point the camera at this you know I've got a fair idea but I don't know until I've actually done it and yeah it's a sort of it's almost like a reflex <laughs> yeah does do other people's because you're um probably the first guest that we've had on here who has really had a lot of their work put out for general public consumption in, in various mediums. I know you've got some of your work has appeared in books. You said you've done various exhibitions. Um, and obviously you've got your own website and Instagram and stuff like that, but that's in some ways that feels a, quite um, low impact as opposed to actually saying, no, I am an artist. Here's my work. Please pay attention. Has, have you ever been affected by people's criticism? Is it something that, that can get under your skin? Up, up to now, I'm, I'm still um, a, a very, very, very tiny, tiny, tiny fish. I'm practically plankton in a massive pool. Mm. Um, so I haven't really copped for any really unpleasant criticism. It's more 
<laughs> the vagaries of the personalities of people in the alternative <laughs> photography community. You know, you might not get on with Bob, but you could get on all right with Cyril. You know, it, it's I haven't really had anybody turn around to me and say, I really hate the stuff you do. I'm sure it leaves some people cold. Yeah. But, um, I'm I'm not bothered by that. You know, I'm left cold by plenty of other artists famous and not famous so yeah actually cause, i mean one thing we love on uh this one thing i love on this podcast is people saying things that are likely to cause arguments um and i read on one of your blog posts um that you are not a fan a, a very much not a fan of nude photography oh i can get oh blimey you really did go through the blog that's an old one yeah yeah, yeah. i'll go looking for trouble wherever i can find it like, oh, this, this looks like it could be fun I, can, I find a lot of nude photography really, really bad. And and because it, most of it is at women, not of men. Well, I don't care what anybody says about Robert Maplethorpe. I mean, that's kind of, there's not a lot of, I mean, well, there's plenty of photographs of naked men, I suppose, on the internet nowadays. But the, the, it's still mainly of women. And it is quite often that sort of male gazy yeah soft porny thing and I just think it's so lazy <laughs> yeah but I mean um one of the people that I was on a residency with last year he does loads of nudes he does lots of dry plate nudes and they're really really beautiful um I've got a lot of time for his work but um mo yeah a lot of nudes do do really really annoy me but then I say I don't like nudes but my favorite painter is um what's his name <laughs> I can't remember his name. <laughs> I, I'm the worst person to ask for this because I don't know my own name half the time. <laughs> Ewan Aglo is my favourite painter. Ah, uh, yeah, I saw the picture that you, I think you shared one of his paintings actually on that blog post, didn't you? Yeah, and and it's he's he he painted lots and lots of nudes, but there's there's nothing creepy or unpleasant about the way he painted women at all. And <laughs> yeah, so. But I do hate, I, but also because as, as a young, um, as a young female, at the point when I started being interested in photography, it really was like the Benny Hill show. It was really, really unpleasant. It was, oh, I don't, never mind, don't worry your pretty little head about cameras. Why don't you just get your norks out? It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not the most forward thinking attitude to have. So, I mean, do you feel like that, to a certain extent that maybe the, um, quality of those pictures may have gone up slightly but the the um the the view behind them is perhaps still too close to what it was is is that as you said that people are just yeah as you said the male gaze just capturing things for the enjoyment of men looking at it rather than this is a, an exploration of the you know the figure as part of uh, the picture's structure. I'm finding words very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, I, I I don't want it to be gratuitous. I want it to be. There's got to be a reason for it. I I find I'm I'm quite mystified by a lot of the ways that women are represented um, across many different kinds of media. But you know, like I'm in my fifties. I'm sort of feminist and all of that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some quite old-fashioned hardcore feminist views about that kind of Ali Malarkey. So, I mean, something that, this is something that always really annoys me. So you're watching Graham Norton, right? The Graham Norton show. And mm -hmm. like all the men are just wearing suits. 
And the women have usually got some kind of skimpy frock on and massive high heels. And that it's just this kind of disconnect in the way that men are shown and that women are shown. You know, women are kind of fragile and delicate and men are strong and, I don't know, it just gets me goat. <laughs> No, no, I, I, it, it's really interesting. To, this is one of the nicest things about having a, a, actually a female perspective on this because uh, a, a, to our internal embarrassment, you are the first lady we've had on the um, podcast. So this is why we want to make sure we rectified this um, because otherwise you do end up in an echo chamber and there are a lot of men taking pictures of naked women uh, and there are very few, it seems, women taking pictures i know that there are there are women out there taking nude photographs of men and women um but they are certainly in the minority it seems um and so it's really good to get your because i i i I agree at the end of the day the the female form is you know it it, like anything it's like a landscape It, it can be a beautiful thing in its own right and but it's it's the presentation and if you're just taking the same photographs that people have been taking for as long as they've been able to take photographs of naked women um at a certain point what what is the value in it uh yeah. it, it is um yeah. yeah do you have feelings on nude photography aid <laughs> not that i dared express right now <laughs> <laughs> So the thing that's happening to me here, right, is I'm sitting here and I'm just starting, I'm just feeling less and less adequate as an artist as you guys talk. Because, you know, you know it's the the thing, I mean, we don't talk, uh, we don't talk enough actually about art on this podcast. We talk, we try and talk a lot more about photography than we do about cameras. Uh, but do you know what? I don't think I've ever put as much thought into any single photograph I've ever taken than than the sort of things that you guys are talking about right now. And I'm thinking, well, how do we follow this? You know, this, is, this is a podcast where this is clearly the most, you know, the 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 uh, the top priority headline segment for this this episode this week. And I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to get it to hang together because the conversation is so deep. And um, yeah, and and yeah, I'm learning a huge amount just listening to you two. Yeah, I, this is why, as I said right at the beginning, this is why I, I was so excited to get Tina on. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned a little while ago, Tina. You said um, about somebody you were on an exchange with last year. So I'm, I'm guessing that that was last year. You did um, the Reveler T Revelat um, exchange in Barcelona. Yeah, that's the, I think it's the biggest analogue festival in Europe, Revelity. Wow, I, 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 unsurprisingly, I've never heard of it. But then, as I said, I'm barely aware of my own name half the time. I was, uh, well, I love the blog post. I, I love the honesty with which you write about everything. And the fact that you're like, well, some of it was just crap. Um, <laughs> uh, and you were writing about the fact that you had, I think it was a couple of days you were out there, but at one point you were in this space and you know, okay go go at it go and make photographs and you're with a group of other um artists and photographers and you've got people there as you said who some of whom are working with wet plate photography and some of whom are doing dry plate and some of whom are doing you know work with Hasselblads and instant and can in and you were there and I've seen the pictures and it was fantastic because you're there with a plastic 
um, <laughs> Holger pinhole camera being held to one of the chairs with the rubber band and a pencil. Um, yeah. One, just great. Across the board, great. Um, rubber band was, I think, number two in our most useful photography thing of the year awards that we had. So that's a, a really good showing of why that was up there. Um, when you're in that situation, do you get at all um, nervous about, oh, no, they're all doing this. Should I be doing this? Is that, or are you quite, are you quite happy to go, ah, have fun with your big stuff, guys? I'm going to go and pot around on my own. Well, yeah, I, I I hadn't really thought of it, you see. It didn't cross my mind because I applied and they gave me a place. And I thought, oh, well, they must think something of me. But there was this guy called Juan. Juan, he was fantastic. And he had this amazing Leica and all kinds of other bits and bobs and all this fabulous equipment. And he just looked at my pinhole and he was like, what is that? <laughs> How dare you? How very dare <laughs> you and but we ended up being really good mates he was I, he didn't speak any english i don't speak any spanish but we're still really good pals um and um we had such a completely different view on what we were doing um but he kept saying to me i, I he said i am i'm a photographer and tina you're an artist <laughs> yeah as you to do what you're doing but um marie noel as well that one of the other people there she does pinhole as well so there were two of us she makes her own pinholes out of matchboxes and all kinds of stuff. And uh, Juan really couldn't get his head around her at all. Uh, it wasn't just me. <laughs> uh, the, the pictures that you, because at the moment, the only pictures I've seen of that are pictures you've taken of you, of the process of you doing it. Um, I'm not allowed to show them until, because they're going to be, um, they're going to be at, at the festival in May and June this year. And I'm not allowed to show them to anyone before. Ah, so we'll have to wait with bated breath to see that. <laughs> yeah, because what? So what I did is I built these. I built some sculptures and photographed myself cutting them down. That's that's what I actually did. Yeah, I saw it. It looked like quite a production that he was going. <laughs> it just amazes me when you you can turn up and just see a load of stuff scattered around the place and come up with an idea that's coherent. <laughs> that's my idea of heaven is somebody say to me you see this room with all this garbage in it knock yourself out <laughs> <laughs> i mean i, I love because i did nobody knew what was in these rooms and then we found all of these um uh screen printing frames and i bought with me i always carry <laughs> i always carry my book binding equipment you never know when you're going to want to bind a book <laughs> what? That, your book <laughs> binding equipment i mean that's a roll of sellotape isn't it no I've got like um, I have bookbinding thread, so quite strong thread. Um, I've got bookbinding needles, which are really good because they're quite big and you can you can sew quite big things together. So I went and bought a load of rubber bands and and string, and I sewed these frames together, and then they just blew around in the breeze because they're quite light, and that was quite good. And then I found all these bits of old t-shirt material, and I sewed them together and made another sculpture. And I, as long as you've got a few basic ingredients you can you can make all sorts of things <laughs> See, really mad I, I like this i like i like this a lot because you know, it's uh i have i always consider i have too many cameras and then i then i go visit graham and then I, that sort of sets me straight on this <laughs> but the thing that, that for me the the camera is one tiny part of what makes a photograph and and granted the vast majority of what i carry around with me is lighting equipment because for me it's the light that i focus on but the fact that you actually are carrying enough kit on the fly to create your own 
movie set <laughs> i'll just knit up a quick movie set and then we'll take some photographs I, that that for me is is i always you know the whole in your bag thing i always i don't want to see what people's cameras and lenses and things like that i want to see all the all the extra bits that they use and and that sounds like you would have a fascinating collection of kit that you carry around with you i've had so many things confiscated at um <laughs> when i go to because I, I forever forget because I've got things like calipers, you know, for measuring um, just if you want to, you know, you want to measure some distance to cut something to a particular size. I've had those taken off me. I've had book binding needles taken off me, pen knives. So I always so to take stuff out of my bag. <laughs> uh, I love it because I mean, you, you essentially you you went there and you created an art installation and then you've taken images of that and i i can can't even begin to imagine how you're going to then present those pictures because as i said it could be anything with your with your pictures it could be in any way shape or form um you may have put some emotion on a dog and you know have that dog wandering backwards and forwards past i think that's probably a crime even in spain I, in spain i bet you it isn't i bet you can absolutely use a dog as a canvas it'll be fine <laughs> Well, I mean, um, what did I do? I can't remember what I was going to say now. Never mind, ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> so the work from that, that, that's going to be on display. I, I take it this is going to be a physical display, and I'm guessing it's also going to be in Barcelona, which is very awkward. Is that yeah, what? It's a fabulous, it's a fantastic festival. It really is. They're, those final pieces are going to be on liquid emulsion on large sheets of Chinese paper. And I'm oh. doing tests for them now. But the, the festival itself is totally amazing because it's this old, um, it's like, a, you know, like those towns in West Yorkshire going out towards Manchester in the Calder Valley, they, the um, like the old mill towns. Yeah, it, I know the ones, yep. It's, town like that so there are all these cloth mills so these old sort of 19th century factories which are now all gutted and they have these great big spaces where they have the most it's a huge 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 space and they have all these different exhibitions in there they have exhibitions throughout the village it is quite possibly one of the best photographic uh, venues that i've ever been to it's really really nice and, and you get all that lovely spanish food as well and you're near the seaside <laughs> that that does sound amazing. So that's the the Reveler Dash T Analog Festival. Yeah. Uh, in the, uh, I'm not even gonna try and do a Spanish accent. <laughs> Villa no, Go on. <laughs> go on it'll be it'll be a good way to take us off that higher plane of artistic conversation that you guys reached back down to earth for the rest of the show. Uh, yeah well that does sound fantastic it sounds like uh, it sounds like an amazing thing to go and see um and we get yeah, to see that in the summer do we yeah yeah it'll be i uh let me just look for the dates um it's is the final weeks of may yeah it's end of May, sorry, it's at the end of May, but it doesn't have the actual dates. No, they haven't got the dates on the website. They're not, sometimes they don't quite give you enough information. <laughs> That's all right, because you can come back and you can uh, you can point us in a direction of those when you're allowed to show them. So <laughs> it's, ten, it's 10 days at the end of May, start of June. So. Yeah. 
good stuff yeah. listen yeah guys that is just such an awesome conversation um I, i've been absolutely spellbound listening to you and um uh tina thank you ever so much um but i'll tell you what we'll just take a quick break and uh then we'll come back and do the rest of the show Right. Okay. Uh, what seems to be come be, be becoming becoming a regular update slot every week? Um, we have, of course, our projects. Uh, Graham's myopic me, uh, which we'll slightly gloss over, uh, not pay too much attention to this week because Graham's been very very busy on that, but uh, is in the middle of something drastically important. Uh, and uh, I've got a little bit of an update on mine. Actually, the chain reaction project. This is uh, a, a really interesting um, time for me because I, I'm on the project because I'm just getting into the taking photos of strangers bit. And uh, I talked last week about uh, had a photo shoot with Gavin Batty, who was introduced to me by Rob Hawthorne. And uh, Gavin was the first complete stranger uh, that I'd taken a uh, photograph of. And I did worry that the you, know, you just wouldn't get a connection coming through from the photos. Um, but I'm happy to report uh, that, well, others will judge, of course, but <laughs> I'm happy to report that actually we did get good, ooh, a, sol- a solid two or three photos out of it. And um, uh, I'm really pleased there does seem to be an actual connection in the images. And uh, that is a relief. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't want to blow any more smoke up your butt than is necessary. But um, yeah, you you do seem to have really knocked out the park with these pictures. I am very impressed. There's a lot of them. Um, and you really have... I love the variety of shots for a start. Um, I love the humour in quite a lot of them as well, because I, I always appreciate that. Um, was this something you went to? I know when you came up to take my picture you had a concept in your head of what you wanted to do was that the same with this or did you um meet gavin and go okay this is the kind of person he is this is what we're going to do uh well this is the thing so what i did i just yeah sort of probably too late in the process (laughs) there's no sense in planning too far ahead of time um i did say to rob so tell me something a little bit about gav what's he into um uh, and maybe there's maybe there's something we can do there uh, was the answer jumping <laughs> so, you know, well he's a real athlete actually he's run marathons and stuff like that so so yeah and uh at the foot we started off because all, all i really knew about him is he is, is he was a mate of rob's and he works in the music industry and uh that that was it but um we we met up in the pub and we had a couple of drinks and then when I and of course it came out um, yeah, that he he's in, yeah, he runs uh, runs a lot actually um, and uh, I think must be quite good at it uh, and he's he just you know uh, a person who's naturally full of energy I think um, and so when we got out there there was we started off with me saying oh okay well we'll start with this kind of setup and this kind of shot and almost immediately uh, Gav was contributing in a you know to the the creative vision of it which was brilliant I mean if you see some of his photographs he is actually a really good photographer himself uh so but he he dove straight in and uh we started talking about you know uh 
not concepts, I suppose. I'm not sure I'd call these shots, you know, particularly conceptual. Um, but you know, so, some of the the looks and and uh, some of the uh, compositions and stuff like that were, were came from him. There's one of him crouching, and he said, "Actually, do you know what? I'd like to have a shot down this alleyway." And we did a few like that. I haven't shown any bit particularly. And then he said, "Well, what about crouching?" And then he started, you know, and the ones by the river, he started clambering all over this this metal railing. Um, which, by the way, is 20, yeah, down the other side of that, 20 feet down, is the River Thames. And we were so cold by this time that we couldn't feel, our hands couldn't feel anything. So I have um, a metal camera. <laughs> And I, I could bear all. It was all I could do really was to 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 uh, change the winder. I could barely change the aperture on the lens, or and I tried to change the ISO at one point. So because I shoot in aperture priority to to push the film, and I couldn't actually do it because my hands were frozen. <laughs> so yeah, it was great. It was great working with Gav actually, and uh, and with Rob as well. Of course, he's not in any of the shots because he's actually the the voice activated light stand. <laughs> but he now yeah, yeah over there all the 45s but yeah there's yeah, yeah and and uh but but both of them were great and the three of us had a laugh but i mean we talked about that a little bit last week um but i'm just really pleased that you know because this was the first test can i get some photos of a complete stranger and i'm actually come out and make some kind of sense and it's given me a real energy for completing the project or pushing forward with the project i mean we've been talking today with tina about you know longer term projects and and working with uh, a, a, a body of people you know where in a festival or whatever um and uh, i i think it's yeah all of this is giving me the energy and the inspiration to uh, to take it forward and see where it goes who knows we said six months didn't we but who knows where it'll go we did indeed. We did. Um, I'm intrigued because I know that you portrait photography is not something you've done a huge amount of in the past. I know you're you're working on something at the moment, but um, you I think fairly recently did a, a photo shoot um, with uh, a gentleman called Tim Andrews, and I, I know from reading your thing that you had an idea in your mind when he was coming to you to have a picture taken, and that you threw that idea out and changed it completely at, at the last minute uh, was was tim a complete stranger to you when you met him yeah he he was a complete stranger to me he's um he used to be a solicitor but he's got he's contracted or developed parkinson's disease and had to give up his job and after he gave up his job he saw an advertisement in time out somebody wanting a nude model and or a model i, th I think it was a nude model and he went for that and then he decided to ask photographers to photograph him. So he set up a project called Over the Hill, and he's been photographed by 500 photographers, um, most of them nude. And he wanted to do that for me, and I was like, no way! So were, were the photographers nude, or was he nude? I just need a clarification here. I, guess I, I would have got to keep my clothes on, but he wanted oh. to be there in the bus. And um, I was going to do something with a pinhole and flash, and and something around movement but when he came up into my studio I thought no because it's it's about the way that different parts of his body are not working properly I like the idea of photographing different sections of him but and and so that's that that became very apparent as soon as he came into the studio I don't actually really know why I suddenly went no no I'll do this yeah but I did <laughs> Because in some ways, you you were faced with a similar kind of thing to what Aid is going to be faced with. Because you 
are taking photographs of somebody who has been photographed a lot for this project and yeah. aid you're going to be taking a lot of portraits of people and i mean and to so far to be honest i think you've done an incredible job the, the three different um shoots you've had have been all quite distinct and different but that's obviously going to get tougher going forward isn't it it is but that's kind of the point um well no no it's not the point sorry but it is one of the benefits of the project so the whole point about this project was to push myself you know because to say okay well i you know i I could sit here for years saying i love taking portraits of photo and then uh, portraits of people sorry and then realizing that i've only ever taken about five people's photograph and they all happen to be my close family or i could do something about it and yeah. it the, it is going to get tough it's like anything you have to do time and time again and 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 gain some kind of creativity from um it's uh, it is going to get tough and um that's that you know whether i whether or not i have uh, the energy and the creative juices if you like to to see that through um Gross. i don't know i don't know we'll see how it goes so Tina, do you have any advice because you have you have got so many things that you have seen through what advice can you give us and i suspect more so me than aid because i i read one of your um from reading some of your blogs about your approach to how you think about things that you're going to do you just your approach to the whole thing but also i'd love to know how how you complete things how you actually see something through and finish it any advice on that? Because starting things is really, really easy. I am king of starting things, and I am not even, uh, you know, stable boy of finishing things. So, <laughs> I have a lot of um, sketchbooks that are that go two thirds of the way in or one third of the way in that are never finished. That I will, I might have started using the sketchbook in 2010 and then I'll, I'll then I'll suddenly open it up again and I'll go oh, that's quite interesting and I'll start using it again it's kind of weird the way that um I I tend to not necessarily say right I've finished with that thing but I I might have I might put it aside for a while if that makes sense yeah I guess when I might I don't know if I get sick of it I I just think no, I don't want to do that now I don't I, I, I no longer feel the need to walk down that particular route doesn't mean i'm never going to do it again it just means that i'm not going to go in that direction for a while so it's it's more about having several different things going at the same time and they they sort of ebb and flow as to what's the thing that i'm really interested in exploring at this particular time yeah so, i can get that because and do you ever get um do you ever fail because one of the things that I'm, I'm starting to think about with my project is that, uh, you know, uh, everybody's been very kind and, and complimentary about the photos I've taken so far. But at some point, I'm going to get a roll or two of film back from the lab and I'm just going to go, oh, shit. <laughs> I really hope so. That's like, that's like the sketchbook thing. I suddenly find that I've lost interest in that particular formal thing. Well, I don't throw it away. I just put it to one side and, and find something else to do. And um, there's always there's always some other thing that I'm going to want to do with photography or with substrates or with printmaking. So I, I, if, if this thing isn't working, I don't try and force it because it's pointless. If you try and force it, it just it, then you really do grow to hate it. And I know I know 
as soon as I start feeling about something, then. Right. So the trick is, is that uh, uh, to to recodify it in your brain as as paused. (laughs) Yeah. And also because I mean, this is not my job. You know, this is not this is not it's not it's not I don't earn a living from doing this. I get minimal amounts of money here. But um, I get bits of funding here and there. But I, I certainly couldn't afford to pay for my holidays or anything like, or buy a camera with what I earn. But um, so it's it's different to it being my job, and and I think that really helps. I, I've I've never been a professional photographer. I know professional photographers, and they they some of them really do struggle sometimes because it's dissatisfying because it can take the pleasure out of it as well. I can see that very easily because I'm pretty sure that would happen to me. Uh, the 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 stress and the pressure of doing the you know whether it's this whether you like the photographs you're taking or not, I think this did just the uh, the pressure that it would make it different for me personally. Yeah, I mean, my um, I come from a very musical family, and one of my brothers was in <laughs> in heavy metal bands in the 1980s, and he was doing really well at one point. I mean, like he supported Black Sabbath and not Black Sabbath, Deep Purple or something like that, played in front of 80,000 people. But at the time when he was doing that as well, he was having trouble with record companies and with publishing deals and all these other things attached to it. It was just this huge monumental awfulness, all this horrible legal stuff that was going on, and it wasn't fun for him. You know, it wasn't a pleasure anymore so something that started out as being something he really loved doing became a chore and he had to do it you know and he hated it he ended up really really disliking it now he plays in pub bands and he's really happy from it as well but he's you know but he's never going to be a rock star you know like so it's 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 having a different mindset to it i think as long as you've got something else as well to go to that's completely different i think that really helps Mm. okay so maybe okay so maybe i need a little sideline project to keep yeah to, to keep the energy up on this one I'll, yeah. uh, I'll... i think i think just, i think just trying to do one thing can turn it into a big monumental mountain to climb whereas the little bits that put it all together you can suddenly find wow i've actually constructed this quite large thing that so how but how does that work for you? Say, for example, when you might have an exhibition or something coming up where there is actually a set deadline where you need to have a, a body of work done and really well. I, I, I read uh, in one of your blogs, it's one of my favourite quotes of all time, uh, the Douglas Adam quote of, um, I love deadlines, I love the whooshing noise they make as they go past. I, I that's, that's, Because me and Dougie, we're on the same page there completely. Um, but how how do you, when you can't just go, ah, oh, no, this I'm not feeling this now, how do you push through to go, no, actually, I, this has to be done by a certain date? I think the the only time I've well I'm I'm I've I've got to have this work done for the Reveler T in May and I'm finishing it off now to be sure that it'll be ready. I want it all done and dusted by April. Mm. Um I when I was coming up towards my final show at Open School East, I I did begin to find that quite difficult with the deadline looming, but I had very, very, very clear idea about what I was going to present. But I'd done a lot of other bits of work attached to it that didn't actually show up in the final piece. So there's a lot of writing, there's a lot of other photographs, there's a lot of um, test prints and things. I knew that I was going to show 
two large photographs. And so all I had to do was to produce those two photographs. And, and there was quite a lot of planning and work that went into making those photographs. And I, I guess I was just quite disciplined about that. But I was only producing two photographs out of what would have been probably about 20 or 30. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I knew I was never going to show two. So there you go then, Gray. You've got, what, 14 to produce each month in your project? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know, in fairness to me, they are perfectly allowable to be crap, so that's fine. <laughs> well, no, that's that's a, yeah, yeah, of course they are. That's a completely, um, it's a uh, an exploratory project you're doing. Yeah, I mean, the thing, and I think I, I sort of was asking you roughly around this earlier, Tina, but the the thing that I find hardest is the inspiration in the first place to get started on something um and, and and just thinking oh yeah actually this is this is the thing i want to do i was talking last night to um uh jake van vliet for, uh, one of the um people we know through instagram um, at sith lord huggles on instagram and he dropped by and ate some slightly burnt pizza you're welcome jake um and uh we were just talking about you know photography and in general and about this feeling of well I, you know I, I, struggling with the feeling that you well what's the point in taking this photo somebody has already taken a, a thousand of identical photos to this and and pushing beyond that to find something that means something to us and that feels like a really hard thing to do it's the thing that i really struggle with maybe i just don't care about anything enough maybe that's the problem maybe i'm dead inside uh god there's there, there's an online revelation that's why i'm struggling i'm just dead inside no you're not i get that all the time i i, I go you know famous places and see yeah and you think oh well i'm not taking that photograph if i if i want to see that photograph i can get it off the internet can't i yeah <laughs> i might do differently if if there's particularly weird weather or the uh, or the light is different or something like that you know but i i i i've i've walked away from a lot of photographs in my time just because you know too many people have taken that shot yeah i, I can understand that i would do that but you you can't you can't um, underestimate how important it is the way that you see the world. And everybody, although lots of people might take very similar photographs, they're not going to take exactly the same photograph because the thing that makes you press that, the, the shutter, is you, isn't it? And, that, and you are the sum total of all your experiences. You're the sum total of the things that you like as well, aren't you? You're the sum total of things that irritate you or, or that you love, you know? Yeah. So it'll be something... That you even even I, I think we're all different heights and things. We all hold the cameras slightly different, so it's always going to be slightly different. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, uh, the other thing that I've really has been driven home to me looking at your stuff is that um, also the, the end medium is that can have such an been such an important part of it because you might be taking a picture which if the picture was just a straight comparison, you know, just oh here's a a picture I've taken, I've got it developed the proper way to develop it, printed it the proper way to be printed, it, and here it is, the end, that yeah. you wouldn't look at twice. But with all of the steps that you go through, whether you're cross-processing it or making a cyanotype, and then how you're choosing to mount it, whether it's you know on on liquid emulsion on something. Um, you, I saw, I think one of the first things I saw on your Instagram feed that really caught my eye was you've been using the liquid emulsion on some shells, and yeah. it just went, oh, 
there's a thing I have never seen, and uh, because it, it 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 the the medium changes everything. I mean, that's it, it changes how you see the image. It changes how you interact with the image, um, and so oh, I think that's, that's sorry. No, I just I think that's a, a really interesting thing with your stuff, and that, as you said earlier, that's something you think about right from the beginning with stuff, and um, yeah. Well, I'm I'm. At the moment, the, the, the shells are for a very particular reason. Um, I'm, I'm transracially adopted, and um, I, uh, I, I know a few other transracial adoptees, and, and we have interesting experiences because you're a little brown kid who's brought up in a white family, frequently in um, in a very white area. Lots of it happened to, to lots of those shipped us all out. I know one poor guy who was transracially adopted to the Orkney Islands. Oof. <laughs> Quite interesting um but the thing about that so is you're sort of transplanted and you're told your family are told when you're adopted oh well you've sort of saved this little brown baby from a fate worse than death and this child is part of your house you're part of your family and i was my i i'm very happy with in my family i love my brothers i love my parents and in in my home the world was i was just part of my family i was just the daughter the sister but as soon as i went out of the door particularly if i wasn't with the rest of my family the world behaved in a very different way towards me and so i'd been sort of it was all very safe in my house but as soon as i got out of the house in the 1970s when people weren't quite so nice to you if you were brown um i had very different experiences that i also didn't have the ability to talk about because i didn't have anybody to talk about and so the reason i thought about putting liquid emulsion on the shells was these are oyster shells that I have mudlarked from the um, the Thames foreshore, um, and so they were things that had been discarded that I then used for a different purpose. You see, so there is all this symbolic stuff. Yeah, I chose to do what I do with them. So, and I I I chose to do liquid emulsion. I could have done cyanotype, but I chose liquid emulsion to make it more like a photograph, and yet not quite a photograph so it's it's got a lot of other stuff attached to why i've chosen that particular substrate does that yeah. make sense no no that, that's fussy i mean and that's the thing that at the end of the day the actual image on the shelf is just one small small part of of the piece as a whole yeah, um, yeah. No, and the ones that's... i've been showing they're just tests they're tests for the the actual portraits that i'm doing at the moment ah. Ah, awesome ah so this is this is part of the portrait ah cool uh, well, I look forward to seeing the results of that well that's that's awesome well i mean i would like to say that your advice will definitely lead to me doing better in the future i mean it almost certainly won't i don't know what would lead to me doing better in the future <laughs> a head transplant. Well, do, do, doing something would be a start i suppose would it? Uh, yeah yeah the thing, <laughs> i think the most important thing is to be happy doing it if, if it makes you happy doing it that's that's the first thing. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did with drawing. You know, I had to stop because it, it was a chore. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a really good point, actually, because I think it, it, that is the kind of thing that can just kill your enthusiasm for doing anything. If you just go, no, I'm going to do this, and I'm I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm going to see it through, and then it does just become a weight around your neck. I've, I've never believed in that whole thing. Like, uh, what is it they say? a quitter never wins and a winner never quits i i've always thought that was absolute rubbish i agree i agree it's not it's not a race is it it's your life that's that's (laughs) very true yeah very true okay well Well, do you know what um with all of this imparted wisdom um i think i'm going to change the concept for tonight's show because yeah i i 
I don't really feel that we should be doing things like shout outs and <laughs> and, and stuff like that today because I think I'd rather end this show on something that's a little bit more thoughtful so do you know what uh, Tina this has been incredible um, thank you ever so much for being on the show um, uh, it's been a fantastic conversation and uh, I think uh, we're going to quit while we're ahead <laughs> for this week uh you can get in touch with us on the internet of course at sunny 16 podcast pretty much everywhere we won't go to it in detail uh thank you to chris bill and kevin as always for their various different supports to the show um i'm gonna sit down have a whiskey i think uh listen back to this on the edit now and uh I put my life to rights. <laughs> and on that note, folks, we'll speak to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Um, yeah, not my best work, I know, closing out the show uh, without giving our guest an opportunity to promote herself <laughs> and her work. So, uh, Tina, uh, where would you like to direct our listeners to uh, so that they can enjoy and potentially purchase your art? Um, well, I have a website and it is my name, which is Tina Rowe, T-I-N-A-R-O-W-E dot co dot UK. Excellent. Fine. Well, I've suggest everybody in fact no i demand that everybody goes there instantly <laughs> as soon as they quit listening to this podcast and uh you know you experience what we've all been talking about for the last while uh, thank you very much yeah and i just want to very quickly mention because i always have to very quickly mention something that tina's also got um some a picture is it i don't know that's a single picture or multiple pictures coming up in the fd book of pinhole this year and um, which we've talked about before because corey's got a photo in there as well so that's coming out in 2017 so that's another place you can see some of tina's work that's going to be exciting, that. I'm pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs>